Psalm 116. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I trusted in the Lord when I said I am greatly afflicted. In my alarm, I said, everyone is a liar. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Truly, I am your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Okay, good morning, everyone. Uh, And I do mean good morning, everyone, because as Anne said before, we're still in the summer months, so that means we're all together in here for the whole service rather than our young people going out to Sunday Club. And I know some of you can't wait for Sunday Club to start again next week. I know that because my son, Joss, is one of those people who can't wait for Sunday Club to start again next week. That's coming soon, don't worry. But in the meantime, we're all together here. And actually, I think it's great that we're all together in here to be looking at this psalm that Anne's just read to us a minute ago. And it's particularly great because this bit of the Bible has something really, really exciting and important to say to everybody here, whether we're young or whether we're old. Now, actually, I think every part of the Bible has something important to say to all of us, but this psalm has something to say really directly to everybody. So whoever you might be, hear this. If you are normally in the week in school, this psalm is here for you. If you are in college or university, if you're in work or out of work or retired or married or unmarried, whoever you are, this psalm is here for you. And the reason we can say that is because this psalm gives us precious truths for when life gets hard. Hopefully this isn't coming as news to anybody, but sometimes life gets hard, whoever we are. For you, either now or in the past or in the future, that might be um, something like bullying at school or at work. 
It might be that you've got messy relationships with friends or family that you wish were different. It might be any number of other things, health problems, anything. You'll know for you what those things are or have been. And suffering's miserable, isn't it? It can feel so lonely when we're suffering. And it's in that miserable, lonely position that we find the psalmist in this psalm. As we start, put your hand up if you're younger than 18 years of age. I'm going to put my hand back down, because sadly that doesn't go for me. If you're younger than 18 years of age, do you know we've actually been preaching through these summer psalms at Avenue for longer than your lifetime? I don't know, Cansdale's, how, Nathan, 18 yet? There you go. So Nathan, from the young people's age, like Joss, for example, he's seven, before Nathan was born, or when Nathan was a tiny baby, one or the other, we were, we were preaching through the Psalms at Avenue. And over time, whether you've been here for 18 years, or whether you have only been here a couple of years, you'll have noticed Psalms are different from each other. Some Psalms are just relentlessly joyful. We might call these sunny day Psalms. Some of the Psalms this summer have been like that. Uh, the next Psalm down, if we're in a paper Bible, you'll see the next Psalm down is like that. It's a sunny day Psalm. It's happy, happy, happy. Some psalms are the opposite. They're just down, down, down. I'm going to call these Radiohead psalms. If that's too old a reference for you, I'm told you can call them, Google helped me, you can call them Phoebe Bridges psalms, apparently. Then you get ones that start sad, like they're going to be a Radiohead psalm, and then something amazing happens, and they go all happy, all sunny from then on. Maybe we'll call those lottery win psalms. That amazing thing happens in the middle and everything's different. The psalm we've had read to us, the one we're looking at today, is also a mixture, like a lottery win psalm. It's a mixture of the good and the bad, but it's more mixed up. So we're going to call it a zebra psalm. It's got a mix of feelings, like a lottery win psalm, but it's not organized clearly into before and after. It kind of goes before, after, before, after, after, before. So to see the hard bits clearly, we need to sort of pick out all the befores and see what things used to be like for the psalmist. And then at the end, we get to look at the good stuff. The first of those downbeats, you can see those befores on the screen now. The first of those downbeats is in verse three. Here's what the psalmist says. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. So he's not just in a situation of potential danger in that moment. He's facing real danger right then. He's not on trial. He's on death row, figuratively. And then the end of verse 3, he's overcome by distress and sorrow. Take a look down at it if you've still got the passage open before you. Overcome by distress and sorrow. To be overcome means either you've been defeated by something or it's in charge of you. Then verse 6, maybe he's looking back to that moment when he was overcome, when he says he was brought low. Then verse 7, the, the verse that Anne pulled out before, he tells his soul to return to its rest. He needs to do that because his soul has been made restless by the trouble that he's in, by the suffering he's going through. I wonder if you've ever felt that restlessness that comes with serious trouble when there's no relief from what you're feeling, there's no distraction distracting enough 
There's no hope of sleep. That's the psalmist's experience of trouble as well. And then we get verse 8. And I'm sure it probably comes as no surprise after all those things that he's described. He's crying. And it seems like the tears were so much clouding his eyes. It seems like his mood was so much sapping his energy. He couldn't trust his feet not to trip and to stumble. Now, I don't know about you, but that feels like quite a lot already. It feels heavy, but we're not even quite there yet. Verse 10, he says he's greatly afflicted. Afflicted isn't a word that we use that much, so I looked it up in a thesaurus, and here's the alternatives it gave me. It said, depressed, stricken, cursed, grieved. He's greatly cursed, greatly grieved. And then lastly, we get verse 11. What he says there in verse 11 is, everyone is a liar. Now, to be fair to the psalmist, that's true. Everyone is a liar, actually. But I don't think what he's trying to do there is express a rational thought. The first bit of the verse, if you take a look at it, it gives us that. It says, in my alarm, I said everyone is a liar. See, he's not mostly thinking in that moment. He's mostly feeling. And what he feels is victimized, marginalized, isolated, persecuted. He's either paranoid or everyone really is out to get him. Whichever of those things it is, he's not in a good place, is he? That's our befores. That's how he was feeling. It was a quick run through. We haven't got time to really dwell on any of those things, but they feel heavy, don't they? And if us sat here just hearing them, feels heavy. Well, imagine that lived experience that he was going through. But remember, not a Radiohead psalm. This is a zebra psalm. He was in a horrible situation, but, well, he was in a horrible situation. Things have changed. We've called it befores. The implication of that is there's an after. So what changes? Well, like with the befores, the afters are scattered through. So we go through and we pick them out. Before we do that, verse 3, I think, is his rock bottom in this psalm. The cords of death entangled me, he says. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. And then we get his reaction. I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. And with that one call everything changes. We see it in verse one. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. Why? For he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. And now things are different. That great affliction that he had before has been replaced with a great affection for God. In verse six, he was vulnerable and brought low. Now he's protected. Verse seven, his soul can finally find Rest and peace. And now we're looking at the afters. We can see the tone of the psalm as a whole again. We can see everything's different now. We don't know if what the psalmist is going through, his circumstances, we don't know if that's changed. The psalm doesn't tell us. But we can see really clearly he has changed. The way he is in his circumstances has changed. 
And now maybe to you, that sort of feels like we've got to where Psalms are supposed to go. Someone's in a bad situation. God saves them. Things are different. Praise the Lord. Let's sing a couple more times. We'll have tea and coffee and we'll all go home. See you next Sunday. Before we do that, I want us to stop and ask something. Why does God hear? Why does he, verse 2, turn his ear to the psalmist? And then, once he's heard him, why does he involve himself? Why does God act? Remember, this is the God who created the whole universe. God describes himself in his word as a consuming fire. This is the God who was and is and is to come. And he's concerned about this one little guy at this one little point in time. I don't know about you, but I feel like I need a reason for that. Is there something special about this guy? Some Psalms we get at the top, this is a Psalm of David, oh, it's the king, it's someone important. We don't get that. Maybe he's especially nice or especially talented. Maybe he said just the right words in just the right order, and now God has to do what he says. Maybe he rubbed the lamp and now he gets his wishes. Obviously not. So what is it then about this guy? Nothing. It is nothing about this guy. You might have seen it in a couple of places in the psalm. Um, The psalmist doing some sacrifices and religious looking stuff. So verse 17 is an example of that. But those verses... They're all afters. They're in the after column, not the before. Those things happen. He does those things after God has listened. He does them after God has acted. He hasn't done anything to curry God's favor, to get God on his team. Because you see, the question I've posed is the wrong question. It's not, and it shouldn't be, what is it about this guy? It's what is it about this guy's God? And we get it in verse 5. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. This guy does nothing, nothing to deserve rescue. There's one thing that he brings to the table. He goes to God for help. Verse four, then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. And then back in verse one, God hears that voice. He hears that cry. The psalmist brings nothing to the table except the fact that he needs God and he knows it. And it's in that moment in this psalm where we get the deepest view of God's character. Here's the situation. One of the creator's creatures is struggling. He calls out for help. And we're going to get to see just what God's like. What is the nature of God? And what is it? It's to be gracious and compassionate. It's for that person to be heard and to be known by his creator. It's for our God to involve himself and to act. That is who our God is. If you're someone who, for whatever reason, their mind has wandered a bit, that's absolutely fine, but this is the moment to tune back in. Okay, hear what I'm about to say. Either now or in the future, if you are in trouble if you're in strife, if you're in pain. God wants you to cry out to him. He cares for you. 
The psalmist, this guy, he was in trouble. He was nothing special. He cried out and God listened. God knew him. God cared. 1 Peter 5 verse 6 says this. It says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So it doesn't matter if we're young or old. It doesn't matter if we've heard a thousand sermons or hardly any. God cares about you. He cares about your concerns. He cares about your life. Our God is a loving father and he wants to hear about your struggles and your pains and your worries. He even wants to hear about your doubts and your sins. Maybe life feels to you like no one really knows you. He knows you and he wants you to know him. Maybe it feels like you're worthless. You're not worth squat. No one cares. God wants to hear your voice. Maybe you think your problems are too small to take to God, that you should be able to handle them yourself. Well, they're not. Cast all your anxiety on him, the verse says. All your anxiety, because he cares for you. Now, maybe you're thinking, Mike, talk is cheap. You say God cares. The Bible says God cares. That doesn't make it so, does it? Talk is cheap. And now this is one of my very favorite things about our God. He doesn't just speak and tell us who he is. He does speak and tell us who he is in the Bible. He doesn't just do that. He doesn't ask us to take on faith that he cares for us deeply. He gives us a real falsifiable, evidenced, life-changing, world-changing event to show us he cares. Because you see, talk is cheap. Words are wind. And our God acts. In Jesus, God came near. The one whose throne is in heaven walked the earth. He left heaven to come here. Just imagine to yourself, for a minute, a cold winter's morning and the alarm's going off. You've got your duvet wrapped around you. Getting out of that warm bed is the last thing that you want to do. The eternal son left the warmth of heaven for this cold world because he cares for you. But it doesn't stop there. He allowed himself to be tortured to death because he cares for you. He knew it was the only way to free you from the penalty of your sin. It was the only way for you to become his child, and he did it. We started our time thinking about times of, of suffering and trouble, those times that we all encounter, those times they feel lonely and hopeless. But I promise you, in those times, you are not alone if you love Jesus, if you're a Christian, you are not without hope. Cry out to him. Cast your anxieties on him. If there was someone who gave up everything for you, even gave up their life for you, what would that tell you about how they feel for you? Is that someone who cares for you? Is that someone who wants to hear from you about your pains and your worries? Is that someone who wants to know you? and to help you? 
Of course that is who that is. And that's what the psalmist believes about his God. And that's what we get to see and know about our God as we look to the cross. We see that so clearly about him there. See, he heard us before we ever cried out. He died to save us. So if you're struggling through suffering, through loneliness, now or in the future, you can look to the one who suffered in your place. Remember his cross. Remember the fact of how he has loved you. And like the psalmist does, call on him, Lord, save me. He is gracious. He is compassionate. He is faithful. He will hear your voice. He will answer that call.